Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, I'm Brian. And this is the... Bible Bistro. <laughs> I had to think a minute. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The afternoon lull. <laughs> the afternoon lull here. I, I could maybe use a little coffee this afternoon. You could have used maybe a little coffee here, but it's the Bible Bistro podcast. It is the Bible Bistro. A, a, a podcast about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. Pertaining to. Or, or, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. But we are still remote. Yeah. We are. I'm at Bistro East. You're at Bistro West. Yeah. And we are still bistroing, enjoying the fine <laughs> foods of fellowship. Yes. Yeah. That was a nice segue there. That was a very church thing, the fine like... foods of fellowship. <laughs> but anyway, we are back. We are had a great episode last week. What did we talk? What did, what did we talk about last week, Brian? <laughs> you said you it was a great episode. Title. It was a great episode, but now I'm. It was interesting. What was it? The Titus. title. Titus. It was about yeah, it was Titus. Titus. Yeah. Yes, my favorite passage. Your favorite passage, and we had one submission, Kevin. Yeah. Kevin we appreciate thank you. you. We thank will thank you for responding to you to that <laughs> question. Yes, Kevin. Our one, our one listener. Yes, that's all right. We have more than one, but Kevin's the only one that jumped on the bandwagon. But anyway, we had a great episode last week talking about Titus and uh, a little bit about baptism and some yeah. other things. And today, again, back to our bistro roots, being totally schizophrenic, we're going to talk about something different. <laughs> well, you had this idea. I thought it was a good idea. We'll we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, <laughs> so you encouraged me. You encouraged me a while back to read a book, and now yeah. this is not going to be a book review episode. We're not going to talk about a book per se, but kind of some of the concepts that were in it. And the book was called The Transforming Vision, Shaping a Christian Worldview, and it's by uh, Brian Walsh and J. Richard Middleton. Middleton, yeah. This it's is an, an old, older it's book. It's an old book, yeah. Yeah, well, if you, if you can see the cover, you know <laughs> this is an old book, older book. Circa eighties. It's one of those that you kind of you pick, you get it, and you're like, I don't know. Well, but it's the, a good book. The reason I first became aware of it is I was reading New Testament People of God, and he made reference to uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, in the New Testament People of God made reference back to this book. And in fact, the New Testament People of God is is dedicated to Brian Walsh, I believe. And so it's an interesting, you know, interesting. Helps helps understand some of the background of what's going on in New Testament people of God. I think so. Yeah. So this book again, I think we've talked about worldview several times yeah. on the. And podcast. I should say this it, just because I keep I keep assuming it, since I've said it once, people remember. It, but but for me, the New Testament people of God was a really transformative book. It really changed the way that I approach scripture and think about and study scripture. And yeah. so, and that's a book by N.T. Wright. Yeah. Well, Brian mm -hmm. refers to him as Tom because they're BFFs. <laughs> well, he refers to himself as Tom in his, in but his, the author, that, if you're listening on Amazon Wright. or yeah. Christian books or whatever, it's N.T. Wright. He, he distinguishes between his, his more academic works and his more popular level works by calling the popular level uses Tom Wright and the, the, um, um, more academic, he uses N.T. Wright. So. His first to, name is actually technically Nicholas. Nicholas I need to get Thomas. a couple different nicknames, you know, for different phases of oh, my you life. Have, you have several nicknames. <laughs> Not safe for podcast consumption, but I've got nicknames. Yeah. Anyway, so I read this book, and it brought up a couple. It, again, it's about for, forming worldview. Like, what is right. a Christian worldview? How do we yep. think about this? And it brought up a couple things that I thought I'd like to talk about them or questions I even had because I think 
not that I was struggling them, but kind of going, I think this could be a hard thing for us to to right. see around right. in some ways. So we talked about world. We have an episode very early in our podcast on the concept of worldview because I think I think it's an important one. Yeah, it's definitely an important one. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I just want to kind of set up what what he's talking about with worldview. And so he says all worldviews have to answer like four essential questions. Like, who am I? Where am I? What's the world that I'm living in? What's wrong with the world that right. I'm living what, in? And what is the remedy? Right. The, the, these basic questions. Later, uh, N.T. Wright adds the question, what time is it? Meaning, how do I see our, where do we understand ourselves to be on the continuum of where we're answering this question? But those last two, now, of course, you know, identity and how do we identify ourselves? Uh, like, for example, we would call ourselves Americans or, you know, what what is wrapped up in that identity? Uh, or some people would identify by a political party and what's wrapped up in that says a lot about our approach and our view, view of the world. Uh, and then you said, where am I? Like, like, am I in a land of opportunity or am I in a place where things are difficult? You know, that, that kind of, that kind of question. But then the, the, those last two, when I would talk about this with students, this idea of what's the problem and, and how, how do we answer that problem what what do we think is the solution to that problem is is really defining worldview yeah i i was thinking about this because i was yeah. like you know the things that i think are other particular worldviews that are out there right and i thought that is like a core perfect yeah. like encapsulation of what they're fighting for what this other worldview might be fighting for they're saying like yeah. this is a wrong and we need to and yeah. here's the remedy and here's how we how we write and, it and let me add this just real quick before because i want to get some specific examples maybe of this but but here's what's so powerful about worldview unless we understand that another person is seeing the world differently because they are coming from this different perspective it's very difficult for us to even carry on a conversation from a christian perspective the importance of understanding worldview i think is so that we can communicate the gospel effectively in language that will be understood mm. by the yeah. other person so jesus for example i think understood worldview when he was when he was approaching those that he was trying to influence whether they were religious leaders of the day or whether they were the people who were anticipating and waiting for his coming um i think the way that he chose to to talk to them and to teach them uh, says a lot about his understanding of worldview. So, so anyway, that's yeah, yeah, just kind of a caveat. Th- I, I I'm say- trying to say this is why, you know, you're always asking, so what? Here's, I'm yeah. answering the so what question up front. This is why this is important, I think. Yeah, you know, I, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Pharisees saw the Roman oppression as sure. what was wrong. They yeah. That needed to be overthrown. Um, the, 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 the Jews uh, yeah. needed, the Israelites need to be liberated from that. And Jesus right. is saying, what's, no, what's really wrong is... Yeah sin yeah, like it's that us, right. is us yeah. in our own sin and so it's a, it was when they're having these conversations there was this while Jesus relates it to them he's trying to help them see what's wrong right. is not just Roman occupation it's right. them it's it's and that only he's the one that can fix yeah. it yeah now that would be yeah one example I, I was thinking today you know this idea of what's the problem like like if you you said to somebody and <laughs> we're kind of in this time of really negativity it seems like if you say hey how are things going in the world you know in general mm-hmm. you know f- but for some people it might be things like the Ukrainian conflict that may be the major issue that that focuses on them uh, other people there's been a lot of conversation about this would be climate change you know they're saying oh this is a major issue this is the defining problem of our generation or, or there would be others who would talk about the um the way the political situation 
the way the political system in the United States, for example, functions. And, and, you know, that's a major problem or the people who are in charge, that's a major problem. You know, the, and so here's the thing, what you call the major problem then, and then also along with that, what you consider to be the solution for that, uh, poverty would be another example. Some people would say, oh, homelessness and poverty is the defining issue of our of our age. I didn't mean to get really specific there, but mm-hmm. but I think this helps us to see. You, so you can very clearly see people who would answer that question, what is the major problem in the world today differently have a hard time coming to conversation with one another, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway. That yeah, well, I mean, it's just, you know, if you're talking about climate change right now, I, I keep yeah. seeing these people that have like epoxied themselves to the road. You know what I mean? Like in <laughs> protest. Oh, really? yeah. They've epoxied their hand and they've had to chip out the road to get the oh, hand off. Oh, my goodness. Like, I not seen that. Good, where, where is this? It was in England. Yeah, that sounds. I was gonna say. I was gonna guess you. <laughs> seems, seems a very English thing. That to sounds do. like a very English thing to do. Is pox well, yourself it's to the painful. I mean, you see these guys trying to chip out their hands because they can't get them off. Anyway, <sighs> but like, if that's the major thing that needs yeah. to happen, you, you know, you've you've identified the the climate as the, the major problem, and so I, I've got to be and, active in that. And you can shake your head at that and say, "Oh, that's just completely wrong headed," or or whatever, but. The, the the difficulty is that that being a follower of Christ compels us to engage everyone, right? Mm-hmm. To engage other people, even those who think differently than we do, with the gospel. That that's that's where this becomes an issue. Then we have to learn to communicate in a way that we're able to at least you know make an attempt it's not just a matter of yelling at each other and that's why i think so many times today conversations can go right by one another because we're not considering the point of view of the other person mm-hmm. anyway yeah that's so that's worldview yeah right. yeah yeah so that's worldview so right. um i i was reading this book and so it's basically trying to lay out like what is a christian worldview like what is right. what are the what are the foundational pieces of this and so um one of the things he talked about and I, and the way he articulated it, and I think this is really important, and I think I think this, but I've never been able, you know, or I, I know I think this, but it's never, I've never said it like this, but is that we are culture creators as Christians, right. like our, right. that, that culture is the task of the Christian, and it's been, or the people of God, I mean, we're all cultural machines in some right. ways, it's that we are living in a culture, but we also are cultural creating things. And so the author looks back, like even at Genesis 2, when Adam and was given the job and he was given right. the job to cultivate the garden. Uh, right. And, you know, and to, to, to have children and multiply and, and go out in the world, it's like the uh, the they're making the case that our job was, the job was to go out and shape the world, right. cultivate the world, create a culture of the world, and that infected right. everything. And so um, that culture in and of itself is a – it has to be done in community. Like right. that, that culture is communal, it's social, and that um, culture is not merely um, like art or music right. or scholarship, and um, but that things like – the economic like economic things or political life church education technology agriculture yeah agriculture like all these things and that to be cultural is like to be human like that's like god created us with these things with the idea of art and beauty and all these things and we're supposed to create culture and so what does that mean for us 
as right. Christians in the world. And I thought that Good was a question. really yeah, very interesting, interesting thing to think yeah. about is what does it mean for us to be culture creators? Because I always, right. or I think sometimes we can default into a situation where culture is around us sure. and I'm just trying to navigate it, right? but not necessarily influence right. culture. Yeah, I mean the the way I, you you use the term culture creator, and you're not you're not wrong there. I would often talk about that. So so it's an aspect of the way that we are created in the image of God. I think. Yeah. Right. It's rooted he's, in Him. Yeah. He's a creator, right? And so part of the way that we are created is image. Now we don't create, but we are. I always say we are creative. Mm. We we take the things that God has made, and we manipulate them, or or we we. Um, interact with them in a way that uh, adds our input to it. In, in a way, it's a partnership, right? It's a divine human partnership in this. So even, you know, I, I live in a, in a place where things like um, the genetic modification of crops is a big topic of conversation. You know, this is, this is something that people are engaged in and they're constantly seeking to improve the amount of yield um, per acre for corn or for, for soybeans or whatever, you know, that that's a major occupation. So, th- so we're taking the thing that God has made, right. And we are, we are manipulating it and working with it in order to have a, an outcome and, 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 you know, best case scenario in a, in a, a very positive way, the, 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 the idea of having advanced yield and having crops that are not susceptible to disease or, uh, to, um, various, you know, either too much rain or not enough rain and that kind of thing is, is ultimately to provide more food for other people. Now, often it does come down to economics, I think, and, mm-hmm. and to become a wealth building tool. In other words, I want, I want to have more, uh, you know, like just like the fool in, in, in Jesus' parable, I want to build bigger and bigger barns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than focusing upon uh, what's what's very important there. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, and, and, and in that context of talking about culture making machines, our culture creativity, cult, right. cultural creativity, as you were pointing out. Well, but I, like I, yeah. at the acknowledgement of the fall, like yeah. what is, what, how did that change? Yeah. Culture, like, you know, obviously culture change or, the fall changed the flow of history, right? And culture is a product of history, what yeah. has come before, and so like there's this that that history has been changed, and how has this cultural creativity changed right. uh, for what we do? There's, you know, I, I was mentioning to you earlier. I talk about this a lot with the Book of Revelation uh, because there are several phrases, several times throughout the entire Book of Revelation, you have this idea about, lang- for example, many languages, right? Uh, or you have this idea of of the wealth of the nations. And one of those places I was, I was, I, I like to point out chapter twenty one. Of course, Revelation twenty one is a great passage, no matter what. But there's mm-hmm. a there's a part of it. We don't always pay that much attention to, I think. Oh, <laughs> I turned off my phone. I was using my you phone as my Bible. I, I, I turned it. my phone off. Yeah, go ahead and read Revelation 21, 25 to 27 for us, if uh, you would. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will so be it's no... Like, it's talking about the, the, the age to come and the... the the uh, New Jerusalem is the way it's described at the beginning. Sorry, yeah. just to give you back. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Okay, no- that's that's what I was wondering, just, just that part. And we, we can read the rest of it here in a minute. But that idea of the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it is the idea. 
And so what does that mean, the idea of the glory and the honor of the nations, um, is that idea of, you know, the things that the nations has produced, right? Right. And so you go back to before the fall, um, and even really the Tower of Babel is what we're talking about here in chapter 11, where there is a separation of peoples. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before that, there's a uniform, I guess we'd say uniform culture in a way, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, but you know, the, the, the confusion of the languages, the people moving into these various people groups, um, you know, the things that came out of that then, the amazing thing is to this, and there are other passages I mentioned in Revelation that talk about it, but this idea, you know, that, that even in the New Jerusalem then, the glory of the nations will be brought into it. Now, it, <laughs> I think the glory of the nations will serve to, how do I say this, amplify <laughs> the New Jerusalem, you know? And I'll give, I'm going to give you a very practical example in just a minute. But uh, isn't that an interesting thought that, that this idea that there are different kinds of culture and different kinds of nations and, and their glory is going to be a part of this age to come of this mm -hmm. new reality that we're, we're hopeful of and looking forward to anticipating. So, yeah, you know, I, this kind of idea was kind of, we were talking about the tower table beforehand. So do you think, you know, I've always kind of wondered what other not maybe they would have had the same language, but would have right. other cultural traditions happened as the earth filled? You know what I mean? Like I know that's like total conjecture. Well, but when you think of culture, I mean, I mean, I think I think the Tower of Babel is a is a part of that. I, I guess I hadn't thought of the question exactly in the way that you said it, but I, um, just like for example, we are culturally different than the United Kingdom, yet we still sure. speak the same language. Right? We don't go around gluing our hands to roads or anything. Oh, um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's someone in the U S <laughs> that's doing that. But there, they're culturally, I, I get what you're saying, that, there, that there is cult, that there would be cultural differences. I guess I was thinking in terms of like, you know, some of the major differences you see are linguistic, like, like the difference between, you know, the, the one that I, is comes most readily to me is one, one that I you know have experienced where you have, uh, for example, in, in Central and South America, you have, you know, what is sometimes referred to as as Latin culture, um, you know, this idea of Spanish speaking cultures. Now, now there's distinction between various Spanish speaking groups as well. Uh, but like you're talking about with with the UK and and I guess you could add Australia to that as well. Um, Canada. <laughs> that's true. Some, kind some of Canada. Kind, kind of. of. Um, but uh, the. You know, I, I guess I guess I think about just that there are major elements of that of that culture that that seem to be rooted in a difference in language. I don't know. That's that's an interesting question. What do you think about that? What, what's well, your... I, you know, I was thinking about, you, you know, was the was the sin of boy, we're going on down the rabbit trail here. <laughs> the, the tower is a unified goal to reach God. Yeah. Or was it about the the unity of. The, cult, the homogeny uh, of the culture. I don't think that was the sin. You know, the the concern there is, yeah, I think hubris is the sin. You know, it's yeah. it's that we can reach out and become God as ourselves. Basically, mm -hmm. it's the same. It's the same thing that we see in. Yeah, in, they in, all had the same the idea that we could. They could do that. Right, and and the confusion of language is God's initiative. He says because if if they 
can continue to do this, then quote unquote, nothing will be impossible for them, which I don't think is, is the idea that then they'll be able to do whatever they want, but more that they will, they will rely only upon their own strength rather than recognize their necessity of God. It's interesting to me too, that in the very next chapter, we always point this out in chapter 12, then God, this is Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. Genesis 12 is God's call of Abram. And it actually connects directly um, with the genealogy there. But, but immediately God takes one of those people groups and he says, I'm going to restore creation through this group. I'm going to, I'm going to use this group to be a blessing to all families, all peoples on the face of the earth. Um, so God uses, uses these distinctions and these differences obviously for his purpose so i don't know that's that's an interesting question here's the other example i was going to use living on hispaniola uh, this island that is div- divided into two cultures right you have the mm-hmm. haitian culture which is uh creole speaking on the on the western third of the island and um, the dominican republic haiti uh, on on the, on the western third and then the dominican republic on the um uh, Eastern two thirds. And, and for a number, there's lots, there's lots there, <laughs> but on the same Island, right. In, in the Caribbean, in that, in the West Indies, technically in that area, you've got two very distinct cultures uh, and language is part of it, but there's, there's other elements to it as well in terms of practices and those kind of things. And there's, there's, there's an influence and effect upon one on the other, but uh, you know, there's just a very distinct, drawn difference between Haiti and the Dominican Republic in a, in a number of different right ways. Some of it's political, which, I mean, you mentioned politics as a part of culture, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I just it was just amusing as we were yeah. kind of talking through this, like what 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 did that look like and, and why? Sure. The amazing thing to me is so here's the here was the the, the hands on example I was going to use is I have been in context in a couple of different places. Missions uh, conferences is one of them, but I have had the opportunity to worship in a couple of different contexts with people from many different places speaking different languages. And there's something incredibly beautiful about everyone unified in their worship of God with different language and, and in different manners and different styles. There's something that's just really uh, attractive about that, right? And, and I don't know if that's just because that's an aspect of my culture, you know, what, I, what I'm seeing, but mm-hmm. but it is it is uh, it is an incredible thing, and it leads you to think: is is this? There, there's a doctrine I've I've talked to you about. I think we've talked about it on here before, called the Blessed Fall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mentioned a couple times. Yeah, and and I think we have to be careful. But Thomas Aquinas uses it. Um, he, he talks about this idea of the blessed fall, um, several, several other great Christian theologians. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, the base of it for him and for others is because of our sin, this allowed the greatness of God's redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I think about it is um, that God is able to take even 
those things which are intended for evil, like Genesis 50, you know, that's, that's my proof text for this, I suppose, is Joseph's brothers. What you intended for evil, God has used for good. Um, that God's able to take even this brokenness that we have caused because of our sin in the fall, and he's able to make it into something that is incredibly beautiful. And, and it, it, you know, the, the, instead of separating us, can connect us in, in a way, I suppose I would say. But that idea of the nation's, um, you know, the, the wealth of the nations or the glory and honor of the nations being taken into the new Jerusalem yeah. well, is and, an image and I, of that for me. Yeah. And I, you know, I think when we think about this, the glory of the nations, you know, they're bringing in different art and culture, sure. but it's all going to be conformed to the worldview of God as the Supreme, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. think it, it, I yeah. mean, is that kind of where the, the rubber meets the road there is that the worldview <laughs> sometimes is different in those things sure. and that in the, the new Jerusalem worldview is going to be consistent, but there's still going to be cultural expression. I think so. I think, yeah, I, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't like your word conformed, but uh, I'm not saying it's fine. a bad word. I'm I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking you're, you made me think about it. <laughs> you know, I always say, I always say unity does not necessarily mean con, uh uh, conformity, right? Uniformity. Mm. It, it, it can, but it, it would can't. be uniformity and worldview perspective. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. I agree with that. That it's all going to be consistent with God's nature and purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that there's no question about that. That's that's not the thing I'm thinking about. But how does that happen? Does it mean certain things? Well, I mean, I think that's true. There would be certain things in culture that would be not in keeping with with God's character and nature right? it would be expressive of that of his right. character and nature or, or are they transformed like us you know mm. we we're in rebellion is there a way that transformation can take place in in for culture as well to to make it something that is that is in keeping with his his nature i don't know that's that's a good that's a good thing to ponder it's a good yeah. thought well so. anyway so the, the book is called The Transforming Vision, and we're going to get to the, the, the main meat of here, what we want to talk about is this idea that we're cultural, the, that we're participants in creating. Yeah. Create, we have, <laughs> I don't know how you want me to say this. Creativity. <laughs> creator's not a bad, being a cultural creator is not a bad thing. I was simply pointing out that the, we're not creating ex nihilo. We're not creating from oh, nothing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking what God has given us. And, the reality of God and and right. yes and it's yeah. being expressed in other in the areas of our life. So yeah, you say uh, whatever you say whatever you no, want. No, no, because then you'll go. Well, I don't like that word, and then I'm like, well, all I'm, doing I'm a big exp- guy, but by the end of the podcast, I'm six inches tall. I'm like, that, don't take it that way. It's time. more it's more me thinking through these things and what is it you know what is it about those words that I you know sometimes I respond to words. Uh, that aren't necessarily bad. It's just that that there's some something. I think it helps us explore our thoughts a little bit yeah. more. I guess no. that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so. Messing with you. I yeah. never bristle up about anything. Um, <laughs> anyway, so with this idea, the, the whole the whole point of the book was, you know, how do we shape a Christian worldview? So right. with the idea, you know, he's laying out. There's again, this is just a small part of it. He's laying out what is a Christian worldview, and part of that is right. being participants in culture, cultural creating, and then he's he's talking about what's the problem. You sure. know, we have the fall is the problem, but also what are um, 
philosophical foundations that keep us from living in a true or or things that we might step into right um that might keep us from truly fulfilling um right. th- this this mandate of shaping a christian worldview and so one of these things is as he brought up is dualism like okay. in, in this book dualism is one of the uh the major things and so um you know if you don't it, it's well, you, can you explain it? I mean, I could explain it, or how would you explain it? <laughs> well, there's it? different there's different kinds of dualism. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about a, a kind of a mind body dualism. Is that yeah. is that the yeah, main well, one just, you want to yeah, focus that, that, on? Yeah. So okay. I, I think that's primarily so, what he talks about. Dualism simply means that that there are two things that that are kind of opposed and and are separated and opposed, um, and, and the dualism is kind of an either or kind of way to look at it. And I said there's there's different kinds. You know, when we say something's black and white, that that's a dualism, right? That's but but there's an idea of a mind body uh, dualism that philosophically sometimes leads us into places. I think is what he's saying that that can be problematic in in understanding. So so there a really extreme form of this would be the idea that all matter is evil, uh, and therefore only the quote unquote spiritual can be pure mm-hmm. um, so this idea of a of a physical body or you know then this the spirit this this is this is kind of the separation yeah. is that yeah yeah, yeah. no that's right well that. you know he he references plato obviously sure uh, you know platonic dualism and that there was this idea that the material the physical was bad right. and that the intellectual the brain the spiritual right. was the good and so it, it and that was an idea he we we kind of track that is kind of carried through so he looks at augustine and yeah. that you know augustine was that the material again like that was temporal wasn't sure. and that the eternal or the spiritual was what was important so the right. soul finds um he says the soul finds its home in the in the eternal and the body in the temporal right knowledge is a matter of the soul so reasons like our, our bodies our brains only valid task was to prepare us for faith and then to keep uh, to help understand our faith like right just thinking about um, and, and he kind of tracked through how even some of Augustine's uh, thoughts about sex influenced yeah. clergy, you know, clergy celibacy sure. and so all these things that, that that was of the flesh and not of the, the spiritual nature. And I nature. think that that continues to influence us today, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if even in a non-Catholic or a non, you know, non um, kind of a whatever your term is for that, where you are like a Protestant or a non, non-Catholic, non-Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic, <laughs> a Protestant least. or non-Catholic. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm saying whatever term you use for that. Uh, it, it, well, never mind. That's, uh, that, that would be a rabbit hole to go down. But, but um, you know, I think for us today, I guess is what I'm saying that, that there's still kind of this idea that anything connected to sex is bad. Um, whereas God created sex for for a particular within particular boundaries and for the marriage relationship, right? Um, but that uh, you know that was ad- a part of Adam and Eve before the fall. It, it, sex was not a part of the fall. It was before the fall. They were given the mandate: be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, the that that 
that kind of a uh, idea and, and it, it it takes a couple of different forms. There's a couple of Christian heresies even that take this to an extreme, to the point that there's there's one view that says, well, the the God that was creating matter in the Old Testament cannot be the true God because he's dealing with dealing with matter matter. right Mm -hmm. and so there has to be this other ideal and again you see kind of the platonic you know this idea of a higher ideal that is not fleshly or not not worked Mm -hmm. out in this way so so yeah that that kind of an idea um and, and so then here's here's where this has affected christian teaching the idea that resurrection being an escape from the body or or, uh, an escape from the physical rather than resurrection being a physical resurrection right or redemption redemption of the physical right right and so so i you know i understand that that what we hope for is a physical resurrection Uh, i think there's aspects of that in jesus you know when he appears and and he says to thomas touch my you know, thrust your hand in my side, uh, put your fingers in the nail prints in my hand. Uh, when he, when Jesus eats with them, uh, you know, I think all of these are indications of his resurrected body, his resurrected state being a physical, um, you know, being physical. And that's, you know, that's what we believe. We believe God, we do believe the true God, right? The real God created the universe, uh, matter, uh, both the seen and unseen is the way that Paul says it. Um, you know, all things uh, were created by him and, and through Jesus is, is kind of the idea. Yeah. What is the, the parable of the ones who are taken away and the ones who oh, The ones who are left to the parable of the, uh, the woman who was, uh, two, two women were, well, <laughs> I can't A remember. Threshing now. or. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, one was taken, the other left. Why? What? What? What were you going to well, go to with that? So, but uh, in the book, he talks about this that we this idea of that you know the the verse preceding yes. talks about well God was patient in the time of Noah. Mm, okay. That uh, that God that Noah was saved and others from the earth were taken away. Uh-huh. And then he the next parable is talking about like the woman who is threshing and the one you know there's two people in a field one is taken one stays right. you know and there's two men and one's taken one stays and he right. a- he asked the question <laughs> who gets taken away and who stays like right. who's the believer and who's the right. the non-believer right and you know culturally i you know i i read that and my first instinct was like oh well you know the believer gets taken away into and heaven, he, is into heaven. yeah, right. he gets he gets snatched away from the world, mm-hmm. and you know the author points out very pointedly. Actually, if you read it again in the context, the the in Noah's time, those who were not God's followers were the ones taken away, right? And in this story, the ones who were not God's followers are taken away. Right. Like the the believer stays on earth, on you earth. know, in flesh, like the, yeah. that is still and, part of the world. And we do, you know, I believe in, 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 this is part of this whole worldview thing. I believe in the redemption of the creation. I believe that the creation, I, I, I always said this way to students, you know, when I was trying to be, um, kind of get the point across is I would say, God get, gets what he wants because <laughs> he's God, right? So he created the world in a particular way. And when we talk about, when we talk about 
restoration, the restoration of all things that I mentioned last week, for example, uh, when, when we talk about that in Acts chapter three, for example, uh, the restoration of everything, we're talking about something that is being put back into the way that it was intended to be from the beginning. Um, you know, I, I will sometimes also say all those words are RE words, <laughs> right? It's resurrection and it's, it's uh, restoration and it's redemption, right? It's, it's an idea of things being, being put back into the order in which they were previously, mm-hmm. um, is the other way I'll try to try to get that across. Well, I- yeah, and and I think the whole point he was trying to make through all this stuff is that we've we've created this false dichotomy between physical spiritual and, and physical. You know, there's yeah. this sense that that they're they're uh, opposed to each other, and right. you know his point is like there no that's that's a foreign concept of this separation of that, and that in in some ways going going back to this idea of cultural that we're part of culture is that everything is sacred in some point, like everything right. can, can, um, be sacred. And he, you know, he talks about, um, we, we create this false sense that what I do at church is one thing and what right. I do at my work is another thing. It's a dualism. It's a dualism. We've yeah. created this division between what I do is sacred over here, but what I do is secular right. over here. It doesn't matter to that. And was trying to reclaim again, like what a Christian worldview is, is that all things, as if we see ourselves as participants in the, the cultural pr- development, that all things that we participate in are um, sacred, sacred in some ways. Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I use this quote. I, I sent it to you earlier, this quote from one of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry. Uh, and he's very much about place, right? He he farms this little farm in in um, Henry County, Kentucky, and and you know he's very much about staying and 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 being faithful and doing what what we're called to do. He wrote one of his most famous poems is called "How to Be a Poet," and there's a couple lines in there that I really like. Uh, he says there are no unsacred spaces. Uh, unsacred places there there are only sacred places and desecrated places in other words the sacred the sacredness of them have been somehow marred is the idea but yeah every, you know if if god is a creator of everything as he created it there are no unsacred spaces uh, and i think that's the same you know the same is true of what you're saying there's no unsacred time uh, there's no, you know, there's no unsacred relationship. Uh, they they all have a sacredness to them, and it's uh, trying to recognize this. A couple of good books have been written written in the past, well, ten years or so, maybe I should say fifteen now, about noticing the sacredness in in the ordinary and the sacredness in the everyday, um, and that's part of what it means to begin to be transformed into having the mind of Christ. I think in some ways. So. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of a book that we've talked. Uh, well, I've I've read, and I think you've read most of it. It's Carl Truman wrote a book called "The Rise and Triumph of the Modern sure. Self," and one of the things he talks about there is he talks about his grandfather and the work that his grandfather did. Right. And he talks about, you know, when I think of what's fulfilling for me, you know, I mean, like I think about my job, it's got to be a certain thing, like it's got to be fulfilling sure. f- for me, and like, and it was. Um, and he talks about like his grandfather, if he, he worked in a steel mill, if you ever asked him if his job was meaningful, 
to him, it was he would have looked at you strangely because it provided for right. his family. And right. so like for me, it uh, what kind of triggered that for me is like, how do we think of what is, can we think of what we do as Christians as pleasing to God in whatever context we're right. in, or we're always looking at, you know, I've, I've been in those conversations before where someone's like, oh, I, I need to do something more meaningful right. for the kingdom, or I yeah. need to be more, do something more, me- I need to work in a church, or I need to, yeah. you know, travel around the world and do do this or something like that. But it's also at the same time going, how are you living your life yeah. in this context? So Paul, you know, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, talk, talking about actually slave-master relationship, right? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it to the glory of God the Father, you know? So so we can glorify God in, 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 in any pursuit i suppose if we do it in the it has more to say about the the manner and the and the the intent intentionality with which we do it uh rather than um what am i trying to say rather than the the what we what it is the content of what we're doing i suppose well you know i I think back back to the the old testament with the Israelites, right. you know, they were given a code to live by. It wasn't yeah. just a spiritual code. It was how right. you lived out your life yeah. out, outside of it. It was even about how you cultivated the land, right. you know, like letting the land rest and, you know, all these things. It wasn't, God's wasn't just trying to establish them. And, you know, it was, yeah. there was spiritual practices for sure. But even in that, as he was giving them direction, it was, here's how right. to work out the physical as well. And even though we, we have fallen and we're not, the physical nation of Israel, the mandate is the same, that we are cultural beings. You yeah. know, the church is a cultural being. Um, so another dualism that kind of thing goes along with this is, you know, one we joke about a lot, but the clergy-laity, you know, mm-hmm. distinction, yeah. um, you know, where where clergy is a different class or, you know, somehow more holy or closer to God or something along those lines. And I think that's that's led to a, a number of different, different problems. Um, there's difference in gifting. Certainly, but but it's not a it's not an issue of having uh, some kind of higher standard or higher higher place. I think. Well, it's it's the you know what parts of the body you know what I mean like right. it, you know a complete body hand you know you, yeah. you know it may it serves a different function but it's part right. of a whole and and participating in that. Yep. So I thought this is a, a really. Um, I was talking about this with Lauren, my wife, sure. you know, yeah. we're talking about some of the stuff and we're cultural beings and this, uh-huh. you know, we can fall in this trap of dualism. And then it was right. the question I came back to you and I'm like, well, what about Paul? I think you're talking about the war of the flesh and spirit yeah. in, yes. in Romans chapter seven, where he says, you know, basically it is sin at work within me and I'm at war, you know, that the, the very things I want to do, I do not do and that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so as we were kind of talking about this, I was like, you know, I think this is a interesting conversation because I think if if you just take this dualism at face value and then you kind of go, well, Paul talks right. about a, a separation between the two of them right. uh, or it seems to be making a separate thing. And I think it's also culturally relevant is that we talk sure. about like the unity of my spirit or my mind and the flesh. Are they two right. separate things? Can they be doing two different things or are they, you know, how are they connected to each other? So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what would you say as we think about this and Paul yeah, and know. dualism? I mean, he's living in a Hellenistic society, right. you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't. I don't want to think he's a dualist. The the passage that I thought of for you and is one. I remember years ago um, when I was ha- in college, I was being taught some of these things uh, we've been talking about by uh, 
a professor at the time, Mr. Frisney, and uh, you know what does it mean to um, what what does the age to come look like, and and what does it mean to be resurrected bodily and this kind of thing, and. Uh, Somebody brought up this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, which is the longest teaching on resurrection in the entire Bible. And, and what is that? What I have? Verse 50 here. Yeah. Uh, what it what it says, essentially, you probably have it there, but but it says that, um, you know, flesh and blood will certainly not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, and you know, this for this guy, that was a big deal. You know, what does that mean, that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God? What what were you going to say? Yeah, so well, I was going to say, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable in- inherit the imperishable. Right. So, so you know, I think the answer, I, I, and I told you when I when I brought this up earlier, I don't know the answer to this, uh, but I think it has to do something to do with the transformation. Is our focus upon, you know, the physical? Um, Paul talks in a couple of different ways about our. We've had a we've had a change of. What do you want to say? Perspective or change of focus, where we're no longer thinking about just things from an earthly standpoint, but we have a a, a spiritual understanding of them. So, so there does to be, seem to be that kind of language. Now, I don't want to make him as much of a dualist as, as what we we've, we've been talking about. That that is an error, obviously, um, but I think it may have to do with the fallenness. You know, and Paul talks about this a lot that that um, we we experience the effects of the fall in our flesh, right? And and there's a weakness, and it has to be transformed. That and that's what the work of Jesus is about. The, this this idea is a it's a transformation of our being, uh, so that we we are uh, considered right before God, and then we are being transformed into the image of of you know our our savior uh, you know we we try to take on his as we ch- focus our eyes on jesus that's what paul's always saying right we focus upon him it, it transforms our um uh you know our desires and it transforms our actions and those kind of things that's that's what i think maybe is going on there i don't know it's tough though you know flesh and blood shall never inherit the kingdom of god it's one of those proof texts right that that uh, if you don't look at it in in too much context can can end up uh causing some problems with what we're talking about what do you think do you think he's uh do you think paul's a dualist or do you want to go back to chapter no, 15 some more no no i don't i i i <laughs> I don't think he's a dualist. I, I think right. um, I think there is some congruency. I mean, I I think for us to he talks about the you know he talks about the flesh as being sinful. You know what I mean? Like being yeah. having sin, yeah, and the spirit. But I think even our all of us is sinful. And, you know, like there's not a part of us. And I think maybe for me, as I've I've read him and and thought about this, is you know, he's talking that the sinful flesh will not, you know, will not inherit right. the kingdom. Like it's because right. I think the thing is, is if, if my flesh and blood as it is now can, you know, part of the kingdom, I would hope it would be renewed in sure. that. Just before that, he's talking about the, you know, Adam, the first Adam, and then saying Christ is, is kind of the second Adam and, and talks about the earthly and that quote unquote heavenly man. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it, it might have to do, it might have to do with that, but I understand again, as I've mentioned before, I understand Jesus to be resurrected physically. I, I understand the ascension to be a physical ascension of the body of Jesus Christ into the heavens. Right. Uh, we've talked about that before. I think there's significance in that. Um, and I believe that when when we look forward to the resurrection, I don't I don't know what the intermediate state is. We've talked about that before. I don't know what happens to us between the now and the then, but I don't believe we are fully resurrected or the you know the resurrection is fully complete in us until that day when Christ returns and the dead are raised. Right. Um, and, well, and, yeah, yeah, I think what's uh you know, verse 49 here, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Right. Like, I think there's a transformative or re, you know, like there's a the changing right. of the flesh, because then we have perishable and imperishable, which we have earthly and heavenly up, up above. So, right. like, I, I, maybe there's a, a, a transformative quality in the nature of the flesh as as uh, the the kingdom of the kingdom of God. Right. We we we've uh, not talked about this. I don't think directly, but we we've kind of been hinting around at it. Um, this idea you you mentioned the one left and the others taken away, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we have this doctrine that is called the rapture, which which comes out of a I think a misreading of First Thessalonians chapter four, but it's very interesting. I, I think there's a detail in it we've we've often missed that may may speak to this as well. Uh, so this is this First Thessalonians four, starting in verse thirteen. I read it's pretty familiar to us. I think, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who've fallen asleep, or the New NIV says sleep and death, because uh, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's using sleep as a metaphor. But those who've fallen asleep, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe, and this is the part that I don't think we think about very much, God will bring bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then it's this is the part that everybody focuses on. According to the Lord's word, we, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That idea of caught up together is the is where the where that idea of the rapture comes from. But isn't that interesting that he brings with God brings with Jesus those who are dead in him. And and, and I always kind of say, you know, is he just taking a Ride around the neighborhood with them. (laughs) Hey guys, you want to see this? We're going to go down, and the second coming is going to happen. You know, let's just go Uh for a ride, and then we'll come back here to heaven. No, I think what happens is they they are risen first. Their their bodies are raised from the dead, and 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 whatever state they were in previously, whatever we understand that to be, was not. The complete resurrection, and and here's the finishing of that, and they go first, right? Mm-hmm. And really, Paul's primary point here isn't about the order in which the second coming is going to take place and everything that's going to happen. He's really talking about the question: what happens? Because 
Paul had been so clear that Christ is coming soon. <laughs> I mean, that was a part of his message. Jesus is coming very soon. Um, and, and he was so certain of that. I think he, 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 you know, made it clear to them to the point they were questioning, well, now people are dying. What happens when somebody's a follower of Jesus and they die? Um, cause there were, there were even in, in the Jewish circles, there were different understandings of what happens to a person after they die. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's any resurrection or, or not. And, and so I think Paul's main point here is to say, um, that, you don't need to worry about those who fall asleep. In fact, they'll precede us. Uh, you know, they will be raised first. So, all right. There's a lot happening. We just dived into there. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know why that came to mind. I guess just that that whole idea of being raised physically and and just that that kind of an idea. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's always. I think you know, kind of talking about the dualism and the spirits, different than the you know, this kind of this cultural idea that we're all just spirits floating around in heaven with God, but like, no, that we're embodied, that there is a combination of flesh and spirit in one and then, and the new heaven and the new earth is. We should, uh, we should do one of these, one of these uh, podcasts on, on YouTube and you're just not there one time and be like, we can, I can edit it. So I'm there. (laughs) And then, and then you disappear. I'm the one that gets judged. How about you disappear? I was talking more about the popular understanding of the rapture that you've been taken. And, I've been taken. Uh, yeah. In, 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 in uh, um, left behind. In, in what's, the, what's the bumper sticker in case of rapture? One of the podcast hosts has been left behind. <laughs> Something like that. Tune, tune in. Tune in to see. Well, we've got the calculator. We've got the countdown clock for the next time we record. So, well, in that case, let's hope it's me because I don't think I could run this without you. And I'll just say stupid stuff. So, as you said, we're two halves and we make a whole. Um, Well, Brian, thanks so much for for chatting today. I know we kind of this is kind of a a different one for us to talk through, but this idea of. What does it mean to live a a, a Christian worldview? What is it, you know, what are maybe some of the hindrances to living in a, you know, what what is a true Christian worldview? Um, If you want to buy the book, it's probably an eBay book. Probably, I think that's where I got mine. It's it's been around for, what is it, 70s maybe? I don't know. Early 80s, maybe early 80s. It's got the vibes. It's kind of got an early left behind vibe to it. You know, wait, let me see. I'm going to look it up. This is. No, wait, no, that's his birthday. 1984. Okay. So it's got late great planet Earth vibes. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Brian, thanks so much. And right, uh, you, if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to uh, visit thebiblebistro.com. Yeah. Uh, up in the right hand corner, you can click uh, the Patreon button. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so there. Or you can just like us, subscribe to us, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell some other people about us. Yeah, absolutely. And you got a question or something like you'd like for us to talk about? with more structure than today um feel free to submit that and uh oh, we'll, this is good this is good structure yeah so. we'll uh we'll we'll jump into it maybe here in a couple of years and uh <laughs> but the the bible be website i'm actually working on a revision of it um to to make a little bit clearer what's going on you can get to the episodes a little bit easier but also um we talk a lot about a lot of books and so forth but you can have like a little option there to see books that might be recommended by brian or i've read and some stuff like that you can find some links to resources we like 
yep. on there. So that'll be coming out soon. All right, Brian, thanks so much. All and right, I'll see you, next uh, time. see you next Tuesday. All right, bye. bye.